All right, Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if any, that if, excuse me, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard the voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will that have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Um, I want to preach on, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Um, I think it's a question that everybody needs to ask themselves. And so we're going we're gonna to do that this morning. But first, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time of preaching. Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given me to preach this morning. I thank you for the many faces that I see before me. And I pray, Father, that you would do a work in each and every life that's here today. I pray, Father, if there's one here that's never been born again, they've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that today they will turn themselves over to the Lord. They will come to Him and be saved. And, Father, for those who are saved this morning, I pray you'll do a work in their lives and draw them closer to you. Father, we may, after this missions conference, there may still be some here that have yet to surrender themselves to you, have yet to give themselves over to you for your glory and for your purpose in their life. I pray, Father, you would do that work today. Pray now you'll fill me with the Spirit of God and use me this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I got saved here in Madison Baptist Church when we were over on Hughes Road um, 30 years ago. Um, It was the first time I'd ever heard the gospel preached. And Pastor Allison preached as he always does. And uh, the Lord got a hold of me. And I won't go into all the details, but I got saved on that day. And, and when I got saved, it was serious business for me. Uh, it wasn't a game that I was playing. It wasn't just a, a quick decision that I was making under my own power. No, it was real. It was something that God moved in me and, and, and saved my soul that morning. And I, I praise Him for that. And like I said, it was serious business to me. I, I, I tend to liken my salvation like unto the Apostle Paul. Not that I was ever anything like Paul or ever could be. But when Paul got saved, Paul got busy. He, he didn't wait around for anybody to give him, you know, a direction or, or a push. He just got busy doing what he, what he felt God wanted him to do. He listened and he moved out. Well, I didn't know how to serve God, and I didn't know what to do. So I, I, I guess I, I just basically prayed a very simple prayer, the same question that Paul asked. Lord, what would you have me to do? I didn't know what to do. Didn't know where to go. Had no idea how to start. But I knew I wanted God to use me for something. For 34 years, I lived a lost man's life. 34 years, I lived for myself. And I decided that day that every year that I had left, every minute that I had left, was God's. And He could do with it as He wanted to in my life. And I wanted Him to use me. So I asked Him that question. Lord, what do you have me to do? What do you want me to do for you? I kind of had a clue. I mean, I'd been in the Army for 21 years, and I had retired. And uh, 
I still, to this day, after 24 years of being in Korea, ministering to the military, and after being in the military all those years, uh, I still have a great love for military folks. And, you know, there's always the fun and games of the different services picking on one another. Um, but for me, I don't care. I love them all. Every, it doesn't matter the service. Uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, all of them. Uh, I guess Coast Guard and Space Force are thrown in there now, too. Um, but all of them are doing the same job. They're protecting this country. Amen. And they're protecting the Constitution. We took an oath to do that. And so I've got a great love for everyone that's ever served or is currently serving. And so we, we my wife and I, Joy, she's sitting down here, um, we gave our lives to do that. And that's what God would have us to do. Uh, that's the answer that I got was go serve those military folks. And so that's what we do. But I, I don't want you to think that because maybe you've had a very sinful past that God can't use you. Um, I did, and he does. Um, don't, don't try to use that as an excuse. I was so sinful, God could never use me. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. God can use you. And it, but it really, it, it, it falls on you to do something about it. God's ready to use you, but he's not going to do it without your permission. He's not going to force you to do it. He's a gentleman. He gives you the opportunity and just expects you to surrender. So don't think that he can't use you or he won't use you because you were sinful. Every single person in this room, young or old or anywhere in between, can serve God. Anyone can do things for the Lord. Maybe some of you this morning would ask God that same question. Uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. Maybe some of you should ask that question. I'm a firm believer that every Christian, every person that's ever been born again, should ask that, that question of God. Every single one. I mean, every person that ever gets saved should ask God that question. Lord, what will that have me to do? Because you see, that's not a question that just somebody that desires to uh, preach the gospel or somebody that desires to go to a foreign field. That's not just a question for them to ask. It's a question for you to ask. Everybody in here should ask that question of God. God, what would you have me to do? Because see, when He saves you, you become something you never were before. And you have an opportunity to do things you never had an opportunity to do before. And that's serve the Lord. And so you should be asking him, what do he want you to do? What service does he want you to give for his honor and glory? Everybody should ask that question. So maybe some of you here haven't done that yet. And this will be the day that you will. Um, I'm hoping after this message, you'll just run down here and take care of that. Now, I can't say that I know God's perfect will for anybody in this room except myself. I know, nobody can know God's perfect will for you but you. So I, I can't say that I know that, but I do know God's general will for everybody. I know that, I mean, it's the same for everybody. I know that much. And that's, I want to give you some things about that this morning. The first thing, and I, I know that it's God's will for you, is He would have you to be accountable. He would have you to be accountable. And that means to take responsibility for your own actions. Not blame somebody else. Not blame anything else. But take responsibility for your own actions. Too many times we try to blame others for our sinfulness. We try to point the finger somewhere else for our wrongs. No, God would have us to be accountable. I want to look real quick at how David responded 
to his sin. How David took responsibility for his sin. In Psalm 51, in verses 1 through 4, and I want you to notice some words as we go through this. I'll emphasize them a little bit. David, he says this, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Now I want you to understand, he had sinned with another person. But he didn't blame the other person for his sin. He never one time said it was her fault. No, he said my transgressions. He claimed it. He pointed the finger in the right direction at himself. In verse 2, he says, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me of my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. David claimed it. He didn't blame the sin on anybody else. He didn't blame it on, uh, uh, I was raised in a bad home. He didn't try that. Um, I I had bad leadership in my life. Didn't didn't claim that. Um, That woman, if she hadn't, he didn't claim that. David said, "It's, it's all on me. It's my sin. God would have us to do that. Recognize that it's our fault. That sin is my sin. It's not anybody else's. I mean, when you tell a lie, it's nobody else's fault. Well, I'd have told the truth if, no, 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 you lied and it's on you. You claim it. God would have us to be accountable. You know, a man can never be saved until they come to the point where they're willing to be responsible for their own sin. They're ready to recognize that they have sinned. They're ready to recognize that the sin is theirs to claim. And they'll never be saved if they don't ever come to a place where they recognize that. To be saved, we must be honest about our sinful condition. And we we must be honest that we carry the sin. It's in us. We are the ones that do the sin. We have to come to that place where we acknowledge that. We must recognize the fact that we are sinners. You know, to me it's kind of logical. But if, if you tell one lie, you're a liar. If you sin one sin, you're a sinner. But the thing about sin, you were a sinner before you ever sinned one. You were just born that way. It, it just came along with being human. Um, everybody's got it. So you might as well just admit it, that you're a sinner. You're not getting around it. I mean, you can lie to yourself all day long that you're not a sinner, but that's what you're doing, lying to yourself, because you are a sinner, and God would have you to account for that sin. Uh, we must all come to the place where we admit we are sinners. If we don't come to that place, we can't be saved. It's impossible to be saved without knowing first that you're a sinner, that you are out of God's will, that you are out of, well, you're out of touch with God. You're, no long, you're, you're not connected to Him in any way as a sinner. You've got to come to the place where you recognize that and you claim that. In the eyes of man, you might look pretty good. Problem is, it's not, it's not man that determines what sin is. God did that already. He already told us what sin was. You know, men could say, oh man, he's a great guy. Compared to God or compared to some other man. See, we start comparing ourselves with other men, we can look pretty good. I mean, I can look out and I can find some folks that I look pretty much better than. Uh, I mean, I could, I, well, I ain't going to pick on nobody. You see me looking at you, don't you, Greg? Um, <laughs> and, I mean, there's always somebody that we can feel like we're better than. But we're not supposed to compare ourselves with people. People aren't the standard. God is the standard. 
How do we look when we compare ourselves to him, the holy and righteous one? Well, we don't look so good then. We need to come to the place where we recognize that. That it's not men that I'm to be compared to. It's God. He tells us what sin is. And here's what he said about it in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. <clears throat> he said, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Simply stated, sin is breaking God's law. Now everybody always wants to squish that down to the Ten Commandments. The law of God <laughs> is this right here. Every bit of it, front to back, this is God's law. This is what He tells us to do. This is how He tells us to live. And when we're not living according to this, we're sinning. We're in sin. This is the law. And God says that when we break His law, we've sinned. What is sin? We, well, we've done wrong. We've gone against what God said we should do. And that's what sin is, disobeying God. <clears throat> you know, and everybody has done that. Every person is guilty. There's not one person that has never sinned. Listen, this is an Old Testament verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 20. Listen to what it says. It says, For there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Not one on the whole earth. I mean, that's like 8 million people. There's not one that has gone without sin in the whole world. I don't care where you look. The person next to you has sinned. You say, really? Really? My, my kids have sinned? Of course they have. I mean, the babies in the nursery have sinned, and they've done that this morning. Some of them, I mean, they're newborns. Guess what? They've already proven that they're sinners. They cry in the middle of the night and wake you up. <laughs> For no reason. They just want you to pick them up. I mean, they prove they're sinners from birth, and it continues that for all of our life. God told us what that sin was, and he said we're all guilty. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All, that covers, well, everybody in here. All is a pretty all-encompassing word. It takes in everybody. All have sinned. Romans 5.12, he says, wherefore by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. For all have sinned. There it is again. All. Nobody gets away with it. You know, you, there, there's nobody that is good enough to go to heaven. Nobody. I don't care who you are. You know, you, you, know, you say, oh, Grandma, if anybody ever went to heaven, it had to be Grandma. Why? Because she was good? Nobody goes to heaven because they're good. That's not how you get there. Good is not enough. It has to be more than good. It has to be better than good. And there's only one place you can find better than good. And I'll talk about that in a minute. When we recognize the fact that we're sinners, we then have to repent of our sin. To repent of our sin means to turn from it. Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Two simple commands. Repent ye. One. And believe the gospel. Two. Well, um, we might want to figure out what the gospel is. I'm going to tell you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, Paul makes it clear. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. He says, Which I preached unto you, which ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you. Now, what he's saying is, He's going to tell them what the gospel is, but he's kind of letting them know you were saved by the gospel if you truly believed. Now, if you were making a false profession, you didn't get saved. 
if you were playing and didn't, didn't fully trust in what Paul was telling here, the gospel, you didn't put your faith and trust in what he's telling you, um, you had a false profession. You didn't get saved. That's what he's telling them in these first couple of verses. And he gets down to verse 3, and he's given the gospel. He says, for I delivered unto you first of all, first of all. That's a good way to do that, the very first thing. I delivered unto you first of all <clears throat> that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried according to the Scriptures. And that he rose again, excuse me, that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So the, the gospel is simple. It's three things. It's the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. If you add anything to that, you no longer have the gospel. You have a lie. The gospel is those three parts and that is it. If you add baptism to it, you're still lost. If you add anything else to it, you're still lost. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what you must believe if you are going to be saved. There's no other way to get there. Repentance, I want you to understand, is not an option for some. It is a requirement for all. Um, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, He commands that we print. Listen, Repent, listen to this. Luke 13, 3, he says, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So he's commanding us right there to repent of our sin. You can't get saved if you don't do that. They come together. We must not only recognize that we are sinners, we must turn from that sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. We repent of it. We must receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. He is the only one that can save anyone. There's no other way. You know, in South Korea, where Joy and I minister, there's a number of different religions, as there are in many, many countries. I mean, America, there's a number of them as well. And it seems like there's a growing number of them every day. But in Korea, there's Buddhism, there's shamanism, there's ancestor worship, things like that. But none of those things save anybody. Nobody goes to heaven by believing those things. There's one thing you can believe to go to heaven, and it's Jesus Christ. He's the only salvation that anyone can have. You don't find it anywhere else. There's no other door you can enter. There's no other way for you to go to heaven. And you, know, and, and you can get angry and say, well, I just don't believe that. Well, then you're on your way to the wrong place. Because this is the only thing that you can believe and know that you're going to be saved. If you don't believe that... You don't get saved. You know, Jesus is the only way. There's not a multitude of ways. There's not a few ways. There is but one. And Jesus, he says it in John 14, 6. The, Jesus speaking here, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. You know, you, you say the way, that's just one. That's, I mean, really, just look at that's English. I am the way. There's, it's not a multitude. He says, I am the way, the truth. And the life. And then he backs it up. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus said that. You either go through him or you don't go at all. You do not go to heaven if you don't go through Jesus. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, while we were still wicked, evil people, distanced from God by our sin, Jesus loved us anyway and he died for us. He died to pay our sin debt. Why, why did he die? Well, somebody had to die because the wages of sin is death. 
That's, that's what it costs to sin is death. Somebody had to die. It could be you in your sin, but that'd be foolish because Jesus already died and paid for your sin. That's why he died. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he suffered all that torment and was buried and rose again the third day. That's why he went through that. He paid for everybody's sin. It's paid for. But the fact that he paid for it doesn't make you saved. You say, well, that doesn't even make any sense. And why do I have to? Well, I'll tell you why you have to. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you. You accept him as your Savior and you are saved. Just believing that he died on the cross, hey, that's history. That doesn't save you. That's a historical fact that he died on the cross. It's a historical fact that he was buried and rose again the third day. Um, just believing that that happened is history. It doesn't save you. Making it your own, that saves you. Amen. Trusting what he did as your own, knowing the payment that he made was for me, that's salvation. Amen. That's what you have to do in order to go to heaven. And I don't know about anybody else in here, but I'm looking forward to going to heaven. I know people there. Uh, some of my favorite people are already there. I mean, Brother Ray Berry, the man that led me to the Lord, I, I look forward to seeing him again. And you know, there's a lot of Bible folks that I, I want to meet Paul. He's my favorite preacher in the Bible. Um, I want to I meet him. But you don't meet anybody in heaven if you don't go there. And if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not going there. That's the only way you're ever going to get there. See, Jesus loves everybody. Everybody. I mean, I find that hard to believe myself as a human. How could anybody love everybody? You know, there's a man that lives north of where we live in Korea. He's the most evil and vile man on the planet. He kills people just because he wants to kill people. He kills people that, that have a Bible. He kills people that want to trust Jesus. You know, he's the, he's the leader of North Korea. But, but, you know, God loves him. Jesus Christ died on the cross for him. And if he will trust Jesus Christ, he won't be an evil man anymore. He'll be a new creature. Jesus loves everybody. There's nobody that Jesus doesn't love. The meanest, most wicked person you can think of, Jesus died for. He loves them all, and he wants them all to be saved. Now, there's, there's groups out there that believe that's not true. They believe that Jesus only died for some, and the rest, well, the rest are just in trouble. Um, I, I don't believe that. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, listen to this verse. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness. Get this. But His long-suffering. I'm so glad. I mean, it, if I would have died before I got saved, that would have been a horrible thing. I'd have been in hell right now. But Jesus is long-suffering. I got saved while He was still waiting for me to get saved while he was still being patient with those of us that were slow coming to the truth. I'm so glad he's long-suffering. But he doesn't stop there. He says that he's long-suffering. And uh, let, me, let me get back to where I was at. To us word, he says, not, now this is the part I really want you to get. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He would have everybody to be saved. If you're in this room today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, today can be your day. You just have to make the choice. I'm getting saved today. And, 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 and just do it. And just do it. This can be your day to become a child of God and solidify your home in heaven. 
you don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't have to think about it. Well, let me, let me pray about it. Let me, let me go home and think about it. Why, why would you want to do that? You may go home and have a heart attack. And then it's too late. You may get hit by a car going to the park, you know, to your car. And you wouldn't have any time to take care of it. it there's a number of things that could happen while you're preparing to think about it. So don't think about it. Just get it done while you're here in this building. Don't leave here until it's done today. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, he says, Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? He doesn't leave anyone out. He wants everybody saved. I mean, just look at the person next to you. He wants them saved. Look at yourself. He wants you saved. He didn't leave anyone out of the cross. He died for everybody there. Well, here's what you must do. This is quite simple. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. He says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart. Now, if you were in the Sunday school class that Brother Nelson was in here, he made that real clear this morning about the heart, about believing with the heart. He said, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's a definite. That's, that's like a done deal. You trust Jesus, you're saved. He tells us it's that simple in that verse. He says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 13, another simple, easy verse. For whosoever, whosoever is you, whosoever is me. He didn't put a name there. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Once he saves you, one you'll be saved for all of eternity. It's a one-time deal. Once He saves you, it is forever. But once He saved you, you must come to the place where you realize that you are saved. I don't know how many people I've dealt with in Korea, they, they, they battle with that. And I, just, I just don't know that I got saved when I got saved. Why well, don't even make sense? How can you not know you're saved? There's a lot of things you cannot know in this life. But I don't know how anybody can not know they're saved. When, when the Lord Jesus Christ saves you, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within you. And when God is living in you, you know you're saved. Amen. There's things different about you that were never that way before and you didn't make it happen. You didn't make those changes in your life. Only God does that. How can you not know you're saved? But there's some folks that battle with that. But you go over to 1 John chapter 5. And you start in verse 11. He says, this is the record that God hath given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And then he says in verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know, K-N-O-W, that you may know that you have eternal life and you may believe on the name of the Son of God. He tells us right there that when you have salvation, you can know you have salvation. You never have to worry about it again. You trust Jesus Christ for salvation, it's a done deal. You can know you have it. The Bible makes it very clear. John chapter 10 and verse 28. He says, I give unto them eternal life. How long is that? Eternal life never stops. It continues on forever. That's what Jesus gives you. Eternal life. Something that never goes away. Something that never stops. He gives you eternal life. He says, and they shall never play. Excuse me, I'll back this up. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. So when will you perish? What did he say? Never. When you're a child of God, you never perish. He says, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. 
And that, you, you follow that passage and the saved person's in Jesus' hand and Jesus' hand is in the Father's hand and I can't think of a more secure place to be. He said, no one can pluck you out of his hand and you're in his hand that is wrapped around with the Father's hand. You're not getting out of that. You're not going to lose that. It's always going to be there. It's eternal life. Getting saved does not mean, though, that you'll never sin again. There's people that believe that, too, and that's just silly. Um, we're still humans, and we still have the same brain that still has the same thoughts and still has the same junk that's always been in there. That's, you know, I don't know about you, but that's when I realize the junk is there when I get down to pray. That's when the junk starts coming back. The devil starts, hey, remember when you did this? Remember when you said that? And when you get down to pray, and so you just got to fight that off and go ahead and pray anyway. But just because you get saved doesn't mean that sin is over. It's still going to happen. You're still going to find yourself. See, the difference is sinners don't, Christians don't plan to sin. Sinners do. Christians don't plan to sin. It, it happens to us. We'll lose our temper. In Korea, that's easy to do when you're driving. It's easy to lose your temper when you're driving and, and, and say, you know, something mean about the guy driving the car that just cut you off or, you know, ran you up on the curb or whatever it is. Um, it's easy to lose your temper. And, you know, the Bible doesn't say don't be angry. It says be angry and sin not. So you can get angry, but the problem is when we get angry, we usually sin. We'll say something mean to somebody. We'll have a thought of, man, I'm going to knock that guy out. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have those kind of thoughts, and that, that's a sinful thought. That's going to still happen to us even after we get saved. So once we're saved... We must continue to be honest about our sin. We must continue to still confess it to God. God, I did this. God, I sinned. I'm the one that wanted to punch that guy in the face. Uh, I'm the one that whatever it is that you did. You still be honest about your sin to God. But there's still people that want to cover it up. Too often the children of God still try to blame their sin on somebody else. Uh, they try to, try to cover it up or they, they try to lessen it down so it doesn't sound like sin. Well, I made a mistake. No, you sinned. Be honest about it. You know, I, oh, I, I slipped up. No, you didn't. You sinned. Be honest about it. Call it by what it is. Don't try to sugarcoat it. You still have to claim your sin and take it before God and get it forgiven. And then you walk away from it and don't go back to it again. Sin's still going to happen and you better still be honest about it. Still be truthful about it. Call it by what it is. Many, they try to cover it up or they'll deny it one, one thing or another. But get what, what, what John says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you, to, you know, we oftentimes will use that verse as a verse to win people to the Lord. We'll use that verse as a soul winning verse. Did you know that that verse is for saved people? Yeah. That verse was written for saved people. That's for you and I'm, oh, I praise God that verse is in there. That's the place we can run to when we have sinned and we can come there and claim the promises of that verse where he said that he forgives our sin. All of it. But then he goes on to say in verse 10, he says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. 
So we better be honest about our sin or we're making the Lord a liar. And the sin is still in us. We've got to confess it to God, not to anybody else. Confess it to God. See, we just need to be honest about our sin. We just need to be honest about our condition in sin, lost or saved. And we need to learn to confess our sin and forsake it. God would have us to be accountable. Something else would God, God would have us to be, He'd have us to be acceptable. God would have us to be acceptable. These are my two favorite verses. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. To be acceptable to God, we must make some changes in our lives. You know, when I got saved, there were things in my life that needed to change. I was a sinner before I got saved. And my house was still filled with things that did not, did not need to be there. I went home and got, just cleaned out the house of all those things. God expects us to make some changes in our life when we're saved. We're a new creature. We have become something we never were before. I was never a child of God until I got saved. I know there's there's those guys that say we're all the children of God. That's a big lie. No, we're not. If you're not saved, you're not a child of God. You're a child of God when you get saved. Well, before I got saved, I was lost and I filled my house up with lost people stuff. Well, God expects us to change when we become a child of God. He expects us to do things differently, be different, live different. So I had to go home and clean all the lost man stuff out of my house. Old videos and music, Hank Williams Sr. music, all that stuff had to go away. Uh, You know, Hank Williams Sr., he sang some Christian-like songs, but he was a drunk and a drug addict. I mean, he wasn't a a good man. And I had to get all that stuff out of my house. You know, I was, I mean, I loved country music. You you know, sitting on the front porch crying in your beer and your dog's dying. Uh, You know, that's all country music is, is music like that. It's, It's not anything about bringing you closer to God. And so I had to get rid of all that stuff and all those movies and all of the alcohol stuff. All that stuff had to get out because God made me something new and He expects us to change when we come to Him. If we want to be acceptable to Him, there's some changes that have to be made in our life. It's going to require separation from the world. It's going to take stepping away from worldly behavior and worldly lifestyles. It's It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some planning on your part. It's going to take strength from God to accomplish those things. This is where you learn how to lean on God as you start moving closer to Him and farther away from sinful things. You've got to learn those things. You can't live the the way you used to. And you don't get to choose to live any way you want to. No, now you're a child of God. You've been bought with a price. The price was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time for you now to start living for Him. That's a change that you must make. A living sacrifice is acceptable. That's what the verse teaches. A living sacrifice. You're not dead. You're dead to sin in the world, but you're alive and you're to give a living sacrifice. That's your body, yourself, to God. That's acceptable to Him. You give yourself to Him for His purpose. You know the question that we started with? What would I have me to do? 
That's basically what this is telling you to do. We're to give ourselves to God. That is acceptable. That means that I am no longer in charge. He is. I take my hands off of my life and I give it over to God to do with it as He will. I mean, maybe God wants you to make the donuts. Doubt it. But maybe He wants you to do that. Maybe He wants you to work in a gas station. Maybe He wants you to to work in a hospital. But it should be His choice, not yours. It should be Him that makes that decision, not you. Because you belong to Him now. That's acceptable to Him. See, our body is to begin to live a holy and righteous life. Because that's what He is. He, as He makes you a child of God, He gives us the ability to do those things. He commands us to be holy so we can be. Because He commands us to be. Is it easy? No, He didn't say it was going to be easy. Um, it's not easy. But He's commanded us to do it. He never tells us to do anything we can't do. He's commanded that we be that. So we should be that. We should be righteous. We should be clean. We should be living a moral life for God. Uh, You know, living a moral life doesn't make you saved. I hope you understand that. Again, Jesus Christ is the only thing that makes you saved. But because of Jesus Christ, now you can live a moral life. Now you can live a godly life. It's all about Him. The body doesn't doesn't want to, uh, as a child of God, I, as a person, I don't want to live a dirty life. I don't want to live a polluted life. I don't want to live an immoral life. I don't want to live a sinful life anymore. I want my life to count for God. I don't want to be what I used to be. I want to be what God wants me to be. That should be the heart of everyone here. I want to be what God wants me to be, not what my, my, my old body wants me to be. You know, this old flesh still wants to do a lot of the things the flesh always wanted to do. Well, I can't do that anymore. I belong to God. My life should be all about what He wants, not about what I want. You must have... You must, some, some, here's some of the things that you've got to change you got to have the right attitude towards authority. Towards authority. You know, I think some of you in here probably grew up similar to the way I did. Um, when I was a kid, if we called a policeman a cop, mom backhanded us. That was disrespectful to the police officer. You know, we should have a respect for authority. And, and, and that means your pastor. Your pastor should be respected. He's the man of God. As a child of God, I should respect the things of God and I should have the right attitude towards authority, all authority. Um, I should have the right friends. My friends can no longer be of the world. They must be other saved people and that other saved people that are living right. You know, if there's a brother or sister in, in church that's not living right, I'm going to pray for them, but I'm not going to hang out with them until they get right. When they get right, then we can go, you know, eat some ribs or other food, good, good foods. Um, we can do that. Did a lot of that this week with some good folks, folks that are, that, are, uh, that are Christians, that are living for the Lord. Even Brother Wally. <laughs> Ate with him last night. Something else you're going to have the, uh, the right heart and the right mind about it. You're going to get the right music. God-honoring music. Music that makes you focus on him. Music that makes your heart draw closer to Him. Good godly music. Um, You must have the right entertainment. No wickedness. You know, I don't know how many people have told me that a movie was good, 
They said, oh, preacher, man, you need to see this movie. It's so good. And I get it and I plug it in. And within the first five minutes, I got to take it out and cut it in half. Because it wasn't a good movie at all. Somebody started cussing at me. No, Christians shouldn't have movies like that. You shouldn't have, shouldn't have entertainment full of filth and all that kind of worldly garbage. You should have entertainment that makes you draw closer to the Lord. You know, for entertainment lately, I've been watching Brother Brian's videos, <laughs> you know, on the Bible and things like that. That's been my entertainment. I, I enjoy that. Um, maybe you enjoy something else like, you know, watching, uh, I don't know, Brother Nelson's Sunday school classes on, the, on YouTube or whatever. We, we do that too. That's, that's fun. Oh, here's a good one. You, you must have the right appearance. You know, we ought to look like we belong to God. You know, we ought to have an appearance that is godly and, and holy. Now, when I say holy, I don't mean clothes full of holes. Uh, I mean, you know, clothes that God would appreciate, clothes that would be holy. Why do people buy clothes with holes in them? I don't understand that. Maybe somebody can explain that to me sometime. In Korea, I see it everywhere. People with holy clothes. They're, you know, that are not holy as in God would have us to be holy. They're just full of holes. And they cost twice as much as... That's just dumb to me. Um, we should have a testimony that's above reproach. No one should ever be able to point a finger at us and say, I saw him taking things from the store and didn't pay for them. I saw him lie to that man. No, we should have a, a testimony above reproach. Nobody should be able to do that to a child of God. When you become a Christian, a child of God, God makes you different. He would have you be acceptable but not acceptable to the world or acceptable to men. He would have you be acceptable to Him. That's what He would have. He would also have you to be available. And I'm going to move along, make this shorter, because I know you want to go eat. Uh, I do. John chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. This is about the little boy. There's a lad here, which hath five barley loaves and two fishes, two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fish as much as they would. Why did Jesus use that little boy? He was there. That's that simple. He was available. He was there, so Jesus used the little boy. Why does God use me? I still haven't figured that out. Why does He use me? I am nothing. There's not one single thing that is special about me. I don't have a great intellect. Um, I, don't have, I don't have much of anything, really. Uh, I've never been perfect at anything, neither of you. Um, but I've never been really good at anything except destroying things. Pretty good at that. But as far as God's usefulness, there's nothing in me that would make him choose me over somebody else. Why did he why does he use me? Because I went to an altar and said, Lord, here am I. Use me. I I, I want to serve you, God. I made myself available. And so he uses me. Just like he used the little boy that was available to be used. Our greatest ability is availability. Make yourself available for God to use you. I mean, how many of you in here will God ever use? I'll tell you how many. As many surrender to Him. As many make themselves available for Him to use. That's how many He'll use. 
It's all totally up to you. He would have us to be available. Lastly, he'd have us to be audible. That's heard. I've always been one of those. You can hear me from a long way off. He would have you to be audible. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. He tells us, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You're to make yourself heard. Now, there's got to be some, some rules about being heard. Too many of you make yourself heard about all the wrong things. There's got to be some rules about this. You spend a lot of time talking about yourself, how good you are, how great things you've done, how the mighty things you've accomplished, how you've got the best of this and the best. You spend too much time talking about yourself. You spend too much time talking about other people, you know, gossiping and backbiting and so on. You spend too much time talking about sports and movies and video games and worldly things. You spend too much time talking about things that do not matter. That's what most of us do. We spend too much time talking about things that never help anybody. They're just conversation pieces. You need to make yourself heard about something that really matters. You know what really matters? The gospel. What really matters is telling other people about Jesus Christ. And about what He's done for them. That's what really matters. How many times do you do that? How many times do you spend time telling someone else about Jesus? How many times have you spent giving out gospel tracts so that someone can know Jesus? As uh, one of our missionaries that we support in Korea, uh, he's, uh, he sent a message. He was out... Uh, he was grocery shopping. For him, grocery shopping is going down every aisle and putting tracks in the foodstuffs. You know, in the, in the Coca-Cola containers and, and things like that. Light bulb packages, you can slide them right in there. Uh, and that's what he, that's, he was grocery shopping. He was passing out tracks in the grocery store by leaving them in products in the grocery store. You know, you can do that in so many ways. The gas, you know, the gas gun thing, you just roll it up and slick it behind the trigger. And it, it'll stay there until somebody comes along and pulls it out. There's so many ways you can do that. Poke holes in the toilet paper things in the, in, in the uh, grocery store and then slide it down in one of those cardboard tubes, you know. Uh, there's so many ways. I know we don't pay our bills by sending mail anymore, but you could start doing that again. You can send tracks that way too. There's always good ways to do that stuff, but that's, we're, that's supposed to be what we find most important to make ourselves heard about. The truth that Jesus loves the world and he wants people saved. That's what we need to spend our time being heard about. You need to be telling people about the Savior. You know, if you're not audible about Jesus Christ, people are going to go to hell. And it'll be your fault. I mean, there's people going to be in hell because you failed to tell them. You could have told them and you didn't. Who can reach your family better than you can? You know your family. Who can reach your friends better than you can? Who can reach your neighbors better than you can? You know them. They know you. And they might even like you. You can share the truth with them. Who better to do that than you? We've got to make ourselves audible. He says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Now, it's, it's not your job to baptize them. It's your job to tell them about Jesus Win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring them to the church house where they can get baptized. They can get involved and become a member of the church. And then you take uh, verse 20. 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever He's commanded us. Teaching them to do all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. So we, we go tell them about Jesus. We see them get saved. We bring them to the church. We get them baptized. We get them plugged into the church. And now we start teaching them everything that God wants them to know so they can go out and do it again. Amen. We keep the ball rolling. He would have us to be audible. It's time to ask God the question. Lord, what would you have me to do? It's also time to get busy. Remember, young people can do great things for God. Young people. When I say young people, I'm talking about, you know, from teenagers all the way down. I love, we we have little kids that go tracking with us in Korea. I mean, three and four-year-old children that go passing out tracks with us. You know, they are the boldest people on the planet we got a little girl that chases people down the street and grabs them by their pant leg and stops them and gives them a track. She's a bold little character. I love taking those little kids out there. You know what they learn to do? They learn to be audible. They learn to give out the gospel and not be afraid to do it. Take your children to give out tracks, no matter how big they are. Little bitty ones. I mean, if you got one in your arms that you carry and give them a track, they give it to him. Give it to him. And they'll, they'll give it to him. They will. Be audible as a family. Be audible as a church. Reach the world for Jesus Christ. Young people can do great things. Old people can do great things for God. I don't consider myself old people yet. I'm, I'm in beginning stages of getting old. Um, I'm not there yet. Uh, see, my, my hair is still of another color. It's not white or gray, totally. Everyone and anyone in this room can do great things for God. You just have to do it. You know, I'm going to close with this. Joseph conquered sin as a young man. Young. David killed Goliath as a young man. Josiah was a boy king. He was a little boy and he was a king. Noah built an ark as an old man. Moses led the children of Israel as an old man. Enoch walked with God as an old man. Your age has no bearing on serving the Lord. You can do it as a young man. You can do it as a middle-aged man. You can do it as an old man. When I say man, I'm talking about everybody in here. It's just, I get stuck on the word. Lord, what will that have me to do? I'm going to leave you with this. Why don't you ask that question of him right now? Why wait another minute? Lord, what will that have me to do? Ask him that question right now. And listen to him. Father, we love you today. We thank you for loving us and thank you for the opportunity you've given us to be here. Thank you for, Father, everything. All that you've been for us. All that you've done for us. Everything that you've given to us for saving us, providing us for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you. I thank you for each one in this room today. Thank you for those that are here today that have never trusted Christ as Savior. Pray, God, this will be their day to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for those that are saved today. I pray that they're surrendered to you and they'll give themselves to you to be used for your honor and glory. God, I pray that your will be done in this place and that you would be honored and glorified by every decision made today.
I pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name.